Hey everybody, this is episode 85 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. Steve is with me. Hey Steve. Hello podcast world. Great to be with you. We are going to be doing something a little bit interesting and different today. We've got for our main portion of the show, we're going to be pulling outtakes from our podcast training podcasts. Basically every week we put together a 30 minute podcast that goes out to our podcast training group members and we now have over 100 folks in that group training for various races this fall through the end of the year and every week we give them a 30 minute bonus content with a podcast that includes their training details for the week and also tips for the week and so forth and as we were talking about it there's some really good nuggets in there from steve and i on advice on a whole wide range of training topics that we thought would be interesting for you guys to hear and kind of get a peek into what we do with that content just in case you might consider joining us on the podcast group or just because you like to listen in on us when we're talking crazy like we do and so we'll be getting to a few segments from those podcasts in a bit and i'll be teeing each teeing up each one of those uh but as i introduce them later By way of intro, of course, we've got intro topics and the European track season has been on fire. Of course, our bonus content that went out last was the the outtake of Steve and I calling (laughs) the women's steeple, which we've gotten favorable feedback on. So thanks to everybody for listening to that. There were some other things happening concurrently to that women's steeple that we must talk about. The first of which is the Shelby Houlihan 5K American record that she ran in Houston. She finished in 1434, besting Shannon Robery's American record by a massive four and a half seconds and just made it look almost easy. Really, really impressive. She was paced by Corey McGee, New Balance athlete, and then, of course, her teammate, Shalane Flanagan, who I understand had to basically squeeze in fitness <laughs> to be able to help her teammate get that result. Yeah, that's definitely taking one for the team there, Chris. <laughs> right. Dropping down to a f- super hot 5K after you're probably in marathon training. So Shalane should get some serious props yeah. and maybe a little bonus kick back. You know, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and she's, she's the ultimate teammate for sure. Let's talk about the result first, Steve, and then I want to talk about some responses that Shelby's given in an interview with Runner's World after the results. But what are your impressions of this American record from Shelby? We had been speculating, could she compete for a podium on the 5K world level? Does this prove that she can? I mean, I think it definitively does because, well, I guess the the main question is, it depends upon Helen O'Beary and... Um, Almaz Ayana and what happens with Shinzebi Dababa. I mean, we've got three women who basically Shelby can run with anybody else in the world. We know um, we don't know whether she can run with those three women over the 5,000 meter distance. So competing. So I still think Chris, in a sense, this record does not indicate whether she is going to be able to compete for a medal at that level, because there's still some unknowns there. But what it does tell us is that she's much further along in that regard than we thought earlier. Not that we didn't think she was capable of running maybe 1540 or 15, 1545. I mean, I think we both know she was ready for sub-1545. 1440, yeah. yeah. We both knew that she was sub-1445, maybe even 1440. At least that's where I was. But this was a surprising result in terms of the way 
the time she ran. But even more impressive, Chris, is the manner in which this race was run. Yes, she had two pacers. And yes, one of them was her teammates. But Chris, she beat Molly Huddle in the same race, who got second place in this race, by 27 seconds. <laughs> Any, if, if I had told you at the beginning of this outdoor season, or even before the U.S. champs, that Shelby Houlihan would beat Molly Huddle in a race by 27 seconds, you would have told me I'd been come back and <laughs> clear my head out that maybe I was not operating on all cylinders. Um, so I think, yeah, this is an amazing result. A, a historic result, obviously, for an American record, but also it's signaling that she can compete at this level. And it's kind of the argument I've been making for a little while. So usually you're the one who gets to gloat on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm the one who's backpedaling because I've made some hyperbolic out of this world uh, prediction that I have to back away from. But I do think Shelby is in a position where she can do that. There's a lot to happen between now and 2020, a lot more things to fall and a lot more results to look at. But this tells us that she is certainly in that conversation. Um, Shelby Houlihan can whip Helen O'Beary over 5,000 meters, over, over, five, over 1,500 meters. That I'm certain. We just saw a result we'll be talking about a little bit later in this podcast where Helen O'Beary got beat by a number of people. She got third in a big 1,500 meter and ran really fast. But Shelby can beat her, and I know Shelby can beat her. So where are we at then, and how does that play out? Is, is Shelby's strength really going to play to her? She's only going to get stronger. She's always gonna, only going to get more comfortable in that 1,500, in that 5K race distance. And this... Chris, this positive feedback loop that she's going to go through because of that result, it's a game changer. These double race results that she's had now, that incredibly smoking fast 1500 she ran a couple of weeks ago, backed with this American record in the 5000, is going to do something. I, I, predict, uh, I predict an American record breaking in the 15 later this year, and I think she can actually run incredibly fast for the 800 as well. I know that she's got a goal of going sub two. I think she's ready to go sub two in training pretty much. So I don't know. I mean, this is Shelby's the real deal. She's got the range all the way. And I think she can compete at the international level at, and, and be a medalist at the 2020 Olympics in the 5k. But I do think it perhaps her best event is the 15 still. But I bet by the time we get to 2020, the 5k will be her main event. But we'll see if that that's a long term prediction. We'll see how that plays out. We'll see if she might double there, too. Well, that I would, think she'll definitely that double. That would be the other yes. part of the equation. Right. I would think she would, but it may be that she puts her training towards a 5K win or a 5K medal and sees where the 15 lands, but we'll see. I, I still didn't believe that the 15 is her going to be her best shot for a medal in 2020, but I'm, I'm, and initially, as you as I've said on this podcast, I was doubtful of her ability to run with the Obiris and the Dababas and the Almazayanas of the world, but I think this does now put her in that conversation, and it'll be interesting to see when she gets in a race with one of those women what happens. Now, going back to the interview I was referencing, she had a great Runner's World interview. We'll link to it in the show notes. They got to a lot of good questions with Shelby, and I wanted to, to cover off quickly on two of them. One of the things that is talked about in the interview is that initially the plan in Houston was to break 15, because I think her PR before this was 15.01. And that was the initial goal. But Jerry kept telling her, nope, we're going 14.50. Nope, 14.40. Nope, okay, American records on the table. So he kind of gradually kept ratcheting it down. And so one of the questions that was asked in the interview was of Shelby was, what are the markers that tell you and Jerry that it's time to go for the American record? And this is her response. 
She says, I have no idea. <laughs> Dumb athlete. <laughs> it's gives, so awesome. He gives me these workouts, and I'm super naive in that I don't know what they mean usually. I have no idea what kind of shape I'm in. He'll give me these paces for workouts, and I'll do my best to run the pace or a little faster, and I base my fitness off Jerry's reactions to my workouts. If he's excited, I know I'm in good shape, but I really have no idea. So to me, that not only kind of references your dumb athlete comment of just <laughs> trusting your coach, but, but it goes to that piece. And we've heard it. We heard it from Marielle. Get a coach. Yep. We've heard it from others on this podcast that have, we've interviewed. Trust your coach. If you don't trust your coach and trust them you know, with 100% faith, then there's probably something wrong. And Shelby's clearly one of these athletes that, that has bought into the system and literally doesn't overthink it. She just does what he says and then asks him what to run. And he said, you can break the American record. <laughs> and damn if she didn't do it. So that's cool. And a lesson, I think, for all of us who have coaches, which is trust your coach, have faith, turn your mind off, let them do the hard, hard thinking and just execute the workouts. The other thing I wanted to get to, because it's come up in a few spots, we also referenced it a little bit in our last discussion about her 1,500-meter run, is this question of, well, does this raise questions about her potentially doping? You know, and some people know I've talked about big jumps in performance as a potential criteria to indicate if somebody's doing something the right way or the wrong way. And in my mind... I believe 100% in what Shelby's doing. I believe she's a clean athlete that we can support for a lot of reasons. One is because I followed her career closely, and if you know what she's done and how she's done it, then these, these results now aren't that big of a surprise, even if they appear to be on paper in terms of big time jumps. Because what you have to understand is that she hasn't been chasing times for the last several years. She's been getting ready for the Olympics, getting ready for world championships, Basically trusting her coach that he had a plan so that this season where there are no global championships on the line, she could chase those times. And we're seeing the results flow from basically a lot of consistent work over the last several years in building to those other championships. And so that's certainly something I've looked at. But then also you got to look at, well, how does this athlete respond to these types of questions, which is really important to me in these equations. And typically you'll see doped athletes or athletes that I'm suspicious of respond really negatively or they get angry when they're questioned and so runners world asked the question and i want to show you what it looks like a response from what i believe is a clean athlete so the question from runners world was at a time when the sport suffers from allegations of doping whenever somebody like you has a huge breakthrough there are always people who are skeptics and question the legitimacy of your performance how do you handle that and so this is shelby's response she says in a way you have to be honored that you're at the level that people are questioning it. So not anger, but almost welcoming the question from her. She goes on to say, I try not to read all that stuff because it, ca it can get to me a little bit. It's a little defeating. It takes the air out of the balloon. It's a time when I should be celebrating and really happy if I'm reading these things that say I have to be cheating. I just want to tell them to have some faith in me. I'm not cheating. It's easy to jump to those conclusions after this year on paper. I've had huge PRs, but if you're around me every day, see what I'm doing know that I probably should have had a little faster PRs to begin with. I likely could have broken four minutes in the 1500 last year, and I definitely could have been in the 1440s in the 5K. It's just not as shocking as it seems. I love working hard, and I love the workouts that leave me on the ground dying. 
Jerry tells me the story of when we were in Mammoth and the guys had just finished their workout. I just see Evan laid out on the track dying, and I was like, yes, this is going to be a good day. Jerry thought that my reaction was funny. If I'm not on the ground dying, I didn't work hard enough. I can feel myself getting better. It's not my job to convince people that I'm clean. It's my job to run fast and enjoy people and, and enjoy what I'm doing. People are going to have opinions about it. I hope, th- I hope they can believe that this is me, and I always believed I could get to this point. I love what I do. I work really hard. It's not something that happened just in a year. I started running when I was five years old. It's taken me 20 years to get to this point. Mic drop. Like, right? That's it. Yeah. That's it. I mean, calm, cool, and collected, welcoming the question, not shirking it, and then calmly explaining why she feels people should believe in her. And tells a fucking amazing story, right, to boot, too. What a great story about being on the track and seeing the boys dying and then saying, yeah, that's going to be me. I can't wait for this. Yep. Eating it up. You know, what do they, what do the, what do the guys do? They get, they, they hold the hand, something yeah. in their, they hold their hand, palm up, and then start hungry, shoveling yeah. the food. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Like, <laughs> <feed me. laughs> so that to me is in stark contrast to a typical doper response where they get angry, they cut people off, they don't want to talk about it, they turn the other way, they end the interview. I'll compare that to our our, our co- a beloved quarterback from the NFL, Tom Brady, this week was asked that uh, very question. Let's put question. some air quotes around yeah, beloved, beloved, but anyway. <laughs> he was asked a question about his trainer who's been leaked to a a recently busted teammate of his, who for who, somebody who was busted for performance enhancements, perform, performance enhancing drugs on his team. He and Tom Brady share the same trainer, so somebody asked a simple question. If you share the same trainer and these... PEDs have been tied to this trainer is there something we should be worried about with you basically was the question and and he got a little brisk quickly and he said (laughs) no comment that's ridiculous and he walked off the stage so to this point I'd never questioned Tom Brady but that kind of response makes me question it because that's typically what you see from somebody who has something to hide who knows what Tom Brady has to hide but I'm just trying to give you guys as fans a way to look for who you can believe in so that you can cheer for athletes and be fans of those that you believe are doing things the right way. So hats off to Shelby Houlihan. We told people to get on the Shelby bandwagon, and if they aren't already on the bandwagon, it might be too late. I think it's full. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, <laughs> I think it's the full. bus is full. I mean – We've been on it for a long time, and a lot of people didn't know who she was, but Chris, more to come from this one. More to come from this one, and I agree with you. This is somebody that we can all be proud of and um, should be proud of and looking forward to seeing what the rest of the summer has to has for her um, and hoping we get to see another assault, an assault at the Amer- at drug cheat Mary Slaney's 1,500-meter record and hopefully assault at a sub-two or even better than that for her in the eight would be super sweet. So we'll see. Yeah, there's a lot of – there's basically a month of summer track left in Europe, so definitely more to come from her, and we will keep you posted. All right, so the next result we wanted to talk about quickly was a result from Jenny Simpson. She came off of getting beaten by Shelby at USA's and has been racing in Europe a little bit. She recently ran – a mile PR for her, 4.17. I think it was only a second off the American record. She finished fourth in the race, and Sifat Hassan won that race, uh, beat her by, I think, three seconds. But you had Jenny getting a mile PR. You had Kate Grace getting a mile PR in 4.20 in that same race. And so I think it shows you that Jenny's not done. She's still hungry. 
it's going to be difficult, I think, at this stage for her to unseat Houlihan. But you got to like that kind of a bounce back result for Simpson. What do you think? I mean, I think it's a it's a really fast time, Chris. I mean, it it kind of pales in comparison when you do the fifteen hundred meter adjustment for where Shelby's at, because Shelby's about a minute and a, I mean a second and a half, which is huge in a fifteen faster in a different race. But I mean, Jenny needed this. I think I think she needed to be in a big race. She got some she got some scalps here. And she ran with great courage. And in our typical way, Jenny is somebody we're always going to be proud of in the way she races. She's the reason why the Shelby Hoolians in the world believe that they can actually compete at the international level because of somebody like Jenny. So to see her still going at it and not going quietly into that good night and saying, I'm here, I'm real, I'm not over the hill yet, I can still run really, really fast. Chris, I mean, Jenny in a final at a world championship or an Olympic Games, Watch out, because she always has a way of finding herself where she needs to be, positioned correctly, and has the impeccable instincts to get big wins. So, you know, amazing for Jenny, and also some good race results there in the back. But Chris, that result from Hassan, that is exceed. That is okay. So here, I'm not going to talk. Um, this is Albert, again. I am the dude who gives Alberto love, but. But, but rails on Galen. Well, I'm not giving Alberto love. I'm just saying that's a real result from an athlete that people have kind of written off and has not really seen at that level. Remember, Sifan Hassan can also run a mean 5,000 meters as well. So that's a big, big race result. That is a killer crush job that she just did. I can't wait to see Shelby and Hassan at it again because there's other stuff there that there's a lot of good racing that can be happening for the rest of this year. Um, but again, yes, Jenny, great race. It's just the queen will always be the queen. Yeah, and that was at the London Diamond League. And, you know, Kay Grace, 420, 420, shows that things are really coming around for her. That's a big PR. And, you know, I think right now I'm penciling Kay Grace in as the, the third spot favorite for potentially the next Olympics behind wow. Simpson. You are way you are, there, are, there is some girl there is some myself. girl that's in college or high school right now who's <laughs> gonna be who's gonna be in that conversation too who'd even know who they are yet. But yes, I'm I just agree. Saying, yes. A few more years with the Bowerman Track Club, drinking some of the magic no, potion, there's no doubt. That's you, very true. You gotta believe that she's gonna be just fine after making the podium at USA's this year. And we're big fans of Kate Grace as well. I have been for a long time. And I guarantee you at some point we're getting her on the podcast. I hope so. That's a wish of mine for sure. So congrats to Jenny and Kate there at the Diamond League in uh, in London. Also in London, big results from Matthew Centrowitz. Got his first win in the 1500 in Europe and took took some uh, big scalps there as well for Centrowitz. Good to see him back on top. And then you had... Clayton Murphy, <laughs> that was showing incredibly that, impressive. That he's on form. Central's race was solid, but it was kind of set up for him perfectly with a couple of Americans in the field. They didn't have the fast, the the the, the really fast um, Norwegian brother in the mix, and it lined up really well for Central. And he and he and he proved that he can still win in those kinds of races, but he's got a little bit to go now. Clayton Murphy, that race is huge. I mean, Emmanuel Career, holy shit! One four—that is, is mind-boggling how fast he ran. He and Amos now are running at a level where I think that world record in the 800 is in jeopardy, if not this season for sure, next season. Um, and they're going to be two guys going at each other. But Clayton looked really, really good in the final 
final 50 meters of that race, he finally looks like he's got his mojo going. And again, another Alberto coached athlete who's in a position to, to run at the shorter distance races. I mean, the skills that Alberto puts together, the range that his athletes are able to accomplish, this is the thing missing from Jerry's resume, Chris. The one thing he's missing, he doesn't have the 815 athlete that's there at the highest level because Jerry's expertise is is steeple is 3k beyond um he he has incredible range but no one in the world in my opinion has the kind of athletic the ability to coach athletes in a range like alberto does from the 800 to the marathon at the highest level in the world-class level so man clayton murphy i'm really happy to see him back we were worried about him wondered if he could get his head straight alberto's got him in the right place moving forward and again i'm not saying that this is great for alberto i'm not trying to be in a position of saying i believe in his program and anything else i'm just saying i'm a track fan that's what this is about and some of his boys are rolling and some of his girls are rolling and it's great it's it's incredible you have to tip your hat to him and say how can he have such amazing results with that amount of range that's not an easy thing to do for a coach to go from a marathon at the world-class level to the 800 meter at the world-class level that is incredible chops and Clayton Murphy, for those that don't know that name, he won bronze surprisingly at the 800 meters in Rio, but has struggled since then to really regain form at the top of the world, but definitely back on it with that 143 in London. So that's good to see. One thing, Steve, though, is my question on him is how much is Pete Julian pulling the strings there versus Salazar? Because I know he tends to focus more on the 815 athletes in that world, while Salazar seems to focus more on the marathoners. I think it's really interesting. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't... I have a hard time believing that Sifan Hassan is working with anybody other than Alberto, but I don't know that for a fact. I would love if somebody has intel on that, has information. We'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear who's working with who. Pete Julian, I know him personally. He's an incredible coach. He knows what he's doing, and he's been sitting at the foot of the master, or at least the foot of the best practitioner of the art let's just say that whether we want to give him the category of master at this point could be arguable but um yeah i would love to know that i don't know i don't really know i do know that uh pete julian was a 10k guy and he and he and he's it's not like he has he has per, per, a lot of personal knowledge with running at the highest level for the 800 meter but again you don't have to really have to have that experience neither did alberto right he was a 10k marathoner as well so i don't know be interesting to see it would be interesting to know what kind of interplay goes on with that group you know in jerry's group there's only one coach one coach and one coach only uh Marielle alluded to that for sure and it seems like that's the way it is he's got support staff but it's really obvious who's doing who's pulling the strings there but it is interesting with that oregon project what is actually happening and how much has alberto stepped back yeah. Who knows? I know Rubbery, Shannon Rubbery would always say she worked more with Julian. So don't know. Probably doesn't yep. matter. Either way, it's the Oregon Project. And they're doing well. So congrats to Centro and to Clayton Murphy for being back on form. And second, first for Centro, second there for Murphy in London. Of course, we've got more European action coming up through the end of August when the Diamond League finals are going to go down. So you should definitely watch that and track that as a fan and of course we'll keep you posted on this podcast all right now we're going to turn to our main topic as i said we're going to be going through outtakes from our training podcast again this is a special podcast that goes out each week to our podcast training group of over 100 members and we just we give them content on their training schedule and how to execute the program but we also give them usually spend 10 to 15 minutes of each of those episodes giving them a tip of the week talking about topics all under the sun and 
And we know you guys really enjoy the training content you get from us. So we thought we'd pull some outtakes from those episodes and just give you a little peek behind the curtain. So I'll be teeing up a handful of those here and we hope you enjoy seeing a little bit behind the scenes with the podcast training group. Okay, in this first clip, you're going to hear me providing some thoughts to some of our athletes who have been struggling with fatigue, particularly over the summer. And I think for some of these athletes, it has to do with ramping up in our programming and doing more mileage than they've done before. But also the fact that it's been a warm summer in a lot of places, I think, is affecting a lot of people that might just be having lingering fatigue. So we've gotten some questions with the group about what might be going on with that. And so... Steve and I provide some tips here on how to think through what to do when you're experiencing lingering fatigue. Here we go. I've had a couple of comments from athletes about this, and I also got an email from one of you referencing you know, some lingering fatigue or what to do if you're having trouble recovering or getting ready for that next quality workout or maybe the quality workouts are faltering. Incidentally, you know, it's hot in the summer and I've had some similar questions from my group here in Austin just because people are getting absolutely beat up by record temperatures here in Texas. The And so what I wanted to talk about and kind of lay out for people is, you know, what are some checklists or check boxes they can look through to figure out and try to assess or problem solve what may be going on if they're feeling lingering fatigue. And I'm not talking about, you know, I had a tough workout and I feel shitty the next day. I mean, that's can be fairly normal. Hopefully you get out and do your recovery run and, and feel better. What I'm talking about is a consistent inability to perhaps hit your paces on your quality days or maybe a couple weeks where you're just feeling like everything's a slog, you're lingering fatigue that's lasting more than a couple of days. That's what I'm talking about. And so, you know, what are the questions you can ask yourself to try to figure out, you know, if you're doing something wrong or where to, and where to make adjustments. And so I've got sort of a tiered list of five and you may add to this list, but the first question which references back to our intro to this episode. But the first question is always, am I running the right paces or at the right efforts is really probably the better way to put that question. Am I running the right efforts both in our quality work and on the easy and recovery days? Am I honest with myself about the paces I'm doing? Cause you know, I've seen people go too fast on their quality workouts, meaning run faster than the paces that, I'm recommending in my group here in Austin that can cause issues for them. I've also seen people not go slow enough on their easy and recovery days and potentially on their long runs. And so, you know, go back to that discussion we had at the intro and, and truly look yourself in the mirror and say, am I, am I being honest in terms of covering the right paces and, you know, being true to what we're intending with, with our, our effort guidelines across the workouts and the easy days and long runs. The second question I asked, and this is especially true in the summer is, am I hydrating well? And we talked about this with Norman on last week's episode, but I think it's come up again with a few others. If you're not supplementing with electrolytes during the day outside of exercise in the summer with this heat wave that we're going through in much of the country, 
then you're doing something wrong. And honestly, I really don't care how you feel, you know, whether you feel good or bad. It's like you should just be doing it because it's, it's you're going to feel better if you do. So supplement your daily hydration with noon, with scratch, with salt tabs, with whatever other electrolyte format you want to use because with the conditions out there, you need it and you just simply aren't able to get enough in and around exercised to properly hydrate yourself and be ready for that next work. And so what happens is you kind of get this chronic dehydration that said it sets in that you may not feel in any given moment, but that's going to affect you across runs. And so supplement every day with electrolytes to make sure you're getting enough water to match. Third question I ask is, are you sleeping enough? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sleep eight hours a night. I know for a lot of us that can be a little bit impractical, but are you sleeping enough relative to what you're used to? Or can you make small adjustments that will get you a little bit extra here and there? Can you go to bed 30 minutes earlier than you normally do by just simply turning off the iPhone instead of looking at it and scrolling through social media in bed? Can you add a nap during a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon that might give you just a little bit of extra recovery time. I was reading, I'm, you know, I'm reading Dina Castor's book right now and she's talking about how, how much her coach, Coach Hill, emphasized sleep and how much he was constantly checking in on her with that. And the quote she referenced there was from him was, there's no such thing as overtraining, only under resting. And, uh, I think that's absolutely true. And so are, are you, are you under resting is sort of the question. Are you getting enough sleep? doesn't mean you have to get eight hours a night, but just try to find incremental spots where without too much of a change to your routine, you can find that sleep. Fourth question, how's your diet? And again, doesn't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I like to have a glass of wine or beer every now and then I like to have sweets as Steve knows, probably too much, but but, you know, anything's okay in moderation, but are you eating like shit? Are you eating too much processed food or fast food or sweets or drinking too much alcohol? Are any of those things skewed too much in your life that might be impacting how you feel? And if so, cut back or, you know, for a couple of days, go without and just see what happens to how you feel. So that's the fourth question. The, fa- the fifth question, and there may be others before you get to the step, but if you're still if you've checked all those other boxes and you still feel like shit, I do recommend potentially that you go get your blood values checked. I mean, this is really easy, at least in the U.S. these days. You have these, you know, almost dock-in-the-box style places where you can go. You know, there's some here in Austin called Any Lab Test Now. You can literally just show up and get any blood test you want. They can do a full blood panel and tell you how you're doing in terms of hematocrit levels, iron levels. You know, for me, I get my vitamin D checked since I've had that issue before. But are your basic blood values in the normal ranges? Because sometimes you'll find something on there that indicates a problem that might require, you know, either a nutritional or a hormonal supplement of some kind. And so if, if you check those other boxes and you, you're doing right by those and you still feel lingering fatigue, go get a blood test and maybe even in spite of all of that, you know, just get a blood test anyway, because I think it's always good for athletes to know their baseline blood values and to be able to see those progress over time so that they know when there might be an issue relative to their own values versus the normal ranges that you might see for the average American or the average 
person in your country. So those are the questions that you should ask. If you're feeling that lingering fatigue or if you're having trouble recovering, play with those things and then see how it affects you. Steve, would you add anything to that? You know, Chris, I think you nailed, nailed it. Um, I just want to remind everybody that another piece of this puzzle is just attitude and, and kind of, um, approach that people are going to bring to this sport. And if you are constantly just trying to jam it in or fit it in, or you don't think that you can meet all of the, you, you can't do all the suggested things that Chris is talking about, then I just ask you to, to just check your motivation and be sure that your why is right. You know, Chris and I are going to be talking to you guys soon about our statements of purpose. Um, especially as we start to look, as we get our marathoners into their fate, their marathoners and half marathoners closer to what they're going to be doing race-wise as we transition out of the speed development. But I think that, you know, considering, considering the fact that what you do on a daily routine and the way that you manage your life and the way that you manage all the other pieces of the puzzle and the way that you get these little things done um, really comes down to whether or not you really want it and, and what your why is. And so I, I'd say that those who are just like breathing heavy or, I mean, do a sigh of sigh and say, oh, you just don't know how busy my life is. Bullshit. Bullshit. How much do you want it? So I just add another level of, of sort of make sure you're in this, make sure you're doing the little things because they're the things that are going to catch you at the start line that might give you less than an optimal starting line experience. But if you've dotted all your I's and crossed all your T's, if you've done the things that Chris is talking about here, it's part of what it takes to be a great athlete. And all of you are athletes. If you're within us, in this still with us, then you are definitely an athlete. So um, I just, that's all I would add to it, Chris, is just be sure that your head is checked and ready to go. So there you go. That's our first outtake. And as we talked about in there, making sure you're going easy enough on your easy days and you're getting that recovery in is critical to staying out of those periods where you have that lingering fatigue. Now, the next outtake talks a little bit about the importance of understanding the difference between effort and pace and how that might play out in some examples across workouts. And we also talk a little bit about how to think about running on vacation and what you need to do to stay on top of your schedule or not. So here we go. All right, as our wrap-up topic for this week, Steve, we wanted to kind of go back and do a little bit of a reminder on pace versus effort. And this is something that we talk about because it's often the case that people, especially in the heat of the summer, forget what's important in the equation for this. And so I had a couple of conversations with people in my group this week and had to really hammer home this point, which is that, you know, you don't adapt physiologically based on pace. You adapt physiologically based on effort. And so what matters, especially in summer running, is that you're achieving the right efforts. Now we use pace as a proxy to try to get you into that place or give you a guideline to know where you should be. But that's not the end all and be all. What's, what matters is how hard you're working. And so we want to make sure that you're tuned into that. And you know, one example, and, and we could use the bomb run workout, Steve, as a perfect 
sort of example or proxy for this is that if you did a bomb run workout in the summer, like you'll do this week, your paces might be 20, 30 seconds higher than what they would be if you did the same workout at the same part of the cycle in the winter, which, you know, again, would be 20 or 30 paces, 30, 30 seconds per mile faster if it was because of the cooler weather. You could do those two workouts the same, have different pace outputs, but achieve the same physiological benefit if the effort is the same. And perhaps the reason why that effort is different is simply because of the heat. Now, you know, again, we don't use heat as an excuse, but it is a reason why sometimes your effort might be higher on a given day, or there could be other reasons, like perhaps you didn't sleep as much, or you had a crazy day, or a stressful day at work, or with the family, or whatever it may be. Sometimes you wake up not feeling as sharp, and if you get out there and do the work, even if the paces are different, if the effort is the same, then you're achieving the same physiological benefit that we're trying to achieve at this point in the cycle. And it's super important to remember that because one, it'll keep your head in the game and not allow yourself to beat yourself up if that's what you're seeing at times. But two, it keeps your eye on the prize and what matters, which is honing on how you feel, honing in on how you feel during these workouts to achieve the purpose of that day versus rigidly sticking to a pace chart. So we wanted to send that reminder, especially as we enter, start to enter the meat of the summer here with July just around the corner, because there may be days when this plays out for you in dramatic fashion as the temperatures fluctuate. What else would you add to that, Steve? I guess I'm just going to repeat the same thing what, I, what I've been saying to a number of my athletes. You know, I've been up in Colorado um, on and off some of the summer and I haven't been at every single workout. And so my athletes will call me. Um, to re- to touch base or to ask questions or we'll we'll have something that we need to discuss and I found myself this summer I think at least three or four different occasions of repeating this cardinal rule I have or cardinal principle I have which is this you we you need to make sure that your Tuesday Thursday and Saturday workouts are focused on pace and focused on the objective that we give you if you are nailing the Tuesday Thursday Saturday workouts. Then and your volume is where it needs to be, and you're healthy, then all you need to do is run easy and recover all the other days. Um, and if you're running too hard in those other days, it's very likely that your Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday sessions are being affected. And so for this podcast group, we're, most, we're doing basically one quality workout, but we have some good hard long runs or we're ramping up our long runs. For you guys, it'll be the workout quality workout of the day, making sure you get that stride workout in that we talk about all the time. Chris, I think you had to check on one of our athletes to make sure that they were getting those in consistently. Um, and then making sure those long runs are feeling good and strong. And what I really believe in this program is that Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Tuesday, or the quality workouts, whatever days they're doing them in the long run, that is the most important thing that people can focus on in this program. And if they focus on those things, they're absolutely going and they're nailing that, then they're probably going appropriately paced and easy enough on the easy days. And they're adjusting where they need to adjust as they run out there. Um, I'm not going to harp on the Gigameter. I've already done enough of diatribing against that in this with the podcast group and on our podcast and with my elite and with my team rogue athletes. 
So what I'd rather do is just shift the focus to what are you doing on your quality day and your long run day and making sure those two things are staying where they need to be and that you're getting the efforts that you need to get. And if they're not and you find yourself faltering, reach out to us on Facebook. Let us try to figure out what we can do to help. It's very likely that what you're doing is what Chris is talking about and trying to make up for things or trying to run too hard on other days and not really just checking in with what your body signals, your body is signaling and making sure you go easy. That's what I would add. Yep. One other suggestion I gave to folks in my group this week is that on those easy days, sometimes take your watch off, leave it at home. Absolutely. For the, for the most part, you're, you're running on measured routes. And if you don't have your Garmin data to look at, then you won't worry about it. And we know it doesn't matter maybe logically, but we often can't help ourselves in comparing today versus yesterday, now versus three months ago, all of those things we start to play or start to play mind games with us. And so take the watch off, leave it at home. Don't have any data. Just go out, feel, enjoy, smile. And, you know, know, Chris, one thing, you know, we've got a lot of folks in Austin this time of year who get on the trails, people around the country with different heat situations or, or the ability with their lifestyle, this maybe slows down a little over the summer, they can get off road. Um, I like to tell folks, and you can use the same concept with the road, but it's really easy with the trails, just to start a stopwatch, just start your stopwatch and do Jerry miles, like determine for yourself what you would consider in the e- an easy run pace for you. So let's say that your easy run pace is 10 minute per mile pace and you've got on schedule for a five or six mile run, then you would be running easy on the trail for 50 to 60 minutes. And it doesn't make any difference exactly what your pace is. Just lock into what would be easy for you and don't worry about what the actual pace is. Then when you're, you can actually count that as the mileage that you ran and with all, in my opinion, with all confidence that that's exactly what that day required. Um, I've used this, I've just recommended this for the last couple of weeks with some of my athletes and they're reporting back that um, it's working really well for them and that it, it gives them an opportunity to feel like they've ch- checked the box off that they needed, but it gets them away from the, from the Strava slash, um, you know, having to keep, keep accurate records and it gives them a little more flexibility. So that's one suggestion that people could take um, that I would recommend. Yeah. Time on your feet. I mean, it's like I was in Aspen last weekend, saw you at camp elevation that whole weekend I was thinking about, I just need to get equivalent time hiking, running, walking around in the mountains because my aerobic work was the same at elevation, climbing, descending, all these other things were happening that meant my mileage was never going to be the same that I could run on the road at, at that same time. But it doesn't matter. I was getting equivalent time on my feet doing aerobic work. And ultimately, the physiological benefit is the same, maybe even greater in some cases because I was having to do it oxygen deprived, which actually raises a good question. I think since we've got a few minutes, I wanted to answer came up today. And I think this is a good one, especially given the time of where we are in the summer. So Jeff Webb asked, what is your philosophy on running on vacation? I've seen you make some random comments, but do you advocate one, sticking to your plan as much as possible? Two, dial the training back and don't worry about it. Three, somewhere in between. So I think that's a good question. Probably a lot of people have upcoming vacations, so something we can address here. And 
I know your general philosophy, Steve, is vacation is vacation. Do what you want to do. And yeah. and that's that's pretty much true for me too. I mean, if you're if you're gonna be out a week, ten days, whatever it may be, don't worry about it. Enjoy your vacation. If you can get and it fits into whatever you're doing, if you can get some work in, do some easy runs. Don't worry so much about workouts. Get whatever mileage or volume you can in that fits the flow of your vacation, that makes your family happy or whoever's with you and doesn't take away from your experiences with them. Be flexible about it and fit it within the context of what works for you. But don't worry so much about sticking to the program. Get in whatever fits in the flow of the vacation. Have fun. Refresh. Come back and jump back in it. Absolutely. I have a, I have a, an athlete who's getting married, um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, and going on a, on a, on a honeymoon, he's going to be on a cruise ship for 10 days. And he's like, I absolutely have to run cause I'll go crazy. But what should I do? What workout should I do? I said, absolutely no workouts. And you should run only as much as you need to. It takes three, as much as you need to, to stay happy because it takes three weeks to train, this is somebody who keeps a pretty relatively high level of volume. And I know that this person is going to need to get the work in just to keep themselves sane. But by giving them, I also told them just to run by time to not worry about their, about their watch. I'm not sure exactly how much compliance I'll get with this particular person on this. But um, to me, it was just like, duh, you're getting married. You got, you're on a honeymoon, relax. But I also know that, that, that running is part of what our, what our athletes do as, as a stress relief and as part of their life. So I, I totally understand that you would want to run, but what you really need to do is just really enjoy your vacation as much as possible. And don't worry about the specific sessions and the specific workouts. We can get you right back on pace. These workouts repeat. They, they, they're, they're built with a, with in a, in a way to keep getting your fitness greater and greater and greater without any one workout being absolutely crucial. And for all those folks who are in the speed development phase, again, even though this is a high intensity phase, your attitude about it should be pretty relatively lower key because this is all gravy for what we're going to be doing later in the fall as we get ready for big races in the fall. Yep. So enjoy it. I mean, if it's me, just as an example, what I'll do, I mean, cause I like to run on vacation. It's a good way to see the sights. It's a good way to help me relax, but I'll do it where it'll be all easy running, fitting in whatever time or distance I can get on given days. So that doesn't disrupt what I'm doing with my family or, or frustrate my wife in any way. And she likes to run as well. So depending on whether we have the kids with us or not, or whether we sometimes travel with my, my in-laws or parents and they can help us watch the kids. Sometimes Amy and I, my wife and I, who's, you know, a little bit slower than I am, we'll go out and do a run together to kind of experience that together. Again, not worrying about the schedule, just getting in whatever work I can do to have fun, to enjoy the vacation and then move on. When you get back, you jump back in rock and roll, rock and roll. And hopefully that outtake gave those who may have not quite run on vacation as much as they would like, gave you a little piece about that decision. Because once you're done, get back on it, right? Now for the next two outtakes, we're going to play a couple of clips that came in back-to-back weeks with the weekly podcast we published to that group. And this first one tees up sort of a philosophical question that I was asking of Steve about 
paces. So here you go. Now, before, Steve, we jump into our weekly discussion on workouts, etc., I've got a little, bit of, a little bit of a philosophical question, coaching-related, that I wanted to ask you that I've been reflecting on the last 24 hours <clears throat> for a few reasons, but, uh, but I'll frame the question first and then give some of my thoughts and then let's see, it. let's see what you have to say. So yesterday... We had an easy run with Team Rogue, and I ran 12 miles. Today, I came back and did an eight-and-a-half-mile recovery run. Normally, I go longer on Fridays, but but I was going slower today for a few reasons. But anyway, so I did, I did eight-and-a-half miles in about an hour and 20 minutes today. Yesterday, I did 12 miles and a little bit longer than that, but at about mile 11, if I'd stopped there, I was was also at about an hour and 20 minutes. And so, assume for a second I stopped at 11 yesterday and ran 11 miles in an hour and 20 minutes at an easy pace, but obviously a faster easy pace. Then I did today, eight and a half miles in an hour and 20 minutes at a slower easy pace. The question is, is there an aerobic development difference between those two runs? Um, an hour, and, an yeah. hour and 20 minutes of time spent at easy effort in there both is cases. An aerobic, there is an aerobic development difference, but there is, but it may be that and and the best aerobic develop in my opinion the best aerobic in my opinion this is what i'm saying there is you get a greater aerobic development benefit from that 11 miler in the hour and 20 than from the 8 mile in the hour 20 you get better benefit this is where in a lot of ways um, it goes a little counterintuitive to some of the other things we've been talking about but that's because we've been trying to get the group to slow down a lot more chris because we think that they're running too fast but I trust you. Okay, here's one other question. Okay, let me let me backpedal just one second. Yep. Tell me your perceived efforts on both of those. On what scale? One to ten. One to ten. We were probably yesterday at hmm, like a five six, somewhere in that range. Today, I was more like a three to four. My scale may be a little bit off, but, you know, definitely a couple notches higher yesterday than today, but still in control, still talking the whole time, still. And for people's other thing that's important to caveat here is also that your, your run yesterday was on a Team Rogue workout day in which it really is kind of a medium-long run, right? Yes, definitely a medium-long run kind of day. Right. So it's like one was a medium-long run day, and so the perceived effort of five to six is appropriate for that. Um, And also appropriate is a three to four effort on an easy day before a long run, a long hilly run that you have in planned in your your schedule. So – 
they're both appropriate and they're both done perfectly and they're both done well and you'll feel great for your long run tomorrow. But you will get more bang for your buck out of that 11 miler. You're just going to get more out of it. You ran at faster paces, you covered more ground. Both those two things are crucial and critical. And you kept it at a perceived effort where it didn't go above to a seven or an eight to where you might have changed energy systems and started working away from aerobic development into anaerobic development. And so you did all the things you were supposed to do, but you did get more bang for your buck out of that 11 miler. The problem is you couldn't have done an 11 miler and an 11 miler and an 11 miler on all your easy days at a five to six percent, five to six level effort from a perceived effort standpoint and been able to recover effectively. So you did it perfectly. You did it right. But the question is, did you get more benefit out of one? Chris, I cannot tell a lie, as George Washington said, you know, it is true you do, but it would be foolish for someone to then think it's just like if X is good and X plus must be better. Not always. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I mean, you're getting to all the right things. I mean, I think all the right topics that we should be talking about here because, you know, put a different way, you could also say, if you were to compare my Friday run this week to last week, and I don't even know what I did last Friday. So I'm just now putting out hypothetical, but if I had run last Friday an hour and 20 minutes and covered 12 miles during those hour and 20 minutes, which I could conceivably do, that would have been probably worse than what I did today covering eight and a half miles an hour and 20 minutes because I would have been not in the right place for the purpose of the day. Correct. And potentially, you know, bumping that effort up, as you said, to a place where suddenly then it becomes counterproductive. So, but it is interesting because I do think it's possible that you know, if I if I think about my Fridays, which are typically kind of a recovery day, you know, I could run an hour and 20 minutes every Friday from now until CIM and cover slightly different mileage on different days, depending on how I feel and how much I need to recover from Thursday and so forth. But by and large, still get the same thing out of those runs. And some might be you know, nine miles, some might be 10, some might be slightly more or less. But, you know, philosophically, it's possible that there would be still no difference in the purpose or the outcome I'm getting from those days. The benefit. If that makes sense. Right. The benefit, yeah. If that I makes sense. There's a difference in the purpose, right? There, I believe there is a difference in the purpose, but there isn't a difference in the benefits. Yeah. So... Anyway, I was also, I also, full confession, slightly tweaked my low back yesterday after <laughs> the, the 12 miler doing my strength work, doing deadlifts. So I had to go slower today because that's what I could do without making my back grumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, but it just raises this interesting philosophical question that I want people to think about. And if I had gone faster yesterday and bump that effort up to seven or eight instead of five or six, then it's possible that could have been a counterproductive medium long run day where faster wasn't better 
And even though I covered more mileage or could have covered more mileage, it wasn't better than what I did do. So anyway, just a philosophical discussion I wanted to throw out there for people to think about and to make sure that that what they're doing on each day from a pace and distance standpoint matches the purpose that they're trying to get out of that day and that running more miles or running faster isn't necessarily better for you. In some cases it can be give you some additional marginal benefit, but that's as long as you're staying within the purpose of the day. All right. So that was an overly long outtake where I was asking philosophical questions. Interestingly, we had some reactions from our podcast group on the Facebook page, which prompted us to cover this topic again the following week and get more back and forth between Steve and I on it. So we did, and I wanted you to hear that follow up as well. So here it goes. I did want to clarify some of the conversation from our intro on the week 11 podcast, just to make sure that people understood what we were saying there. And this is prompted by a question from Steven on the Facebook group, which was a completely reasonable question. He says, Chris, your discussion on paces and the response Steve gave on the most recent podcast has me questioning my long run pacing. The pace range given for the long run is huge. Is there a benefit to running those long runs at a faster end of the range? What physical response and or PR cues should I use as a guide within the long run to either slow down or speed up? I understand that the pace should be such that I can hold a conversation, but holding a conversation is possible in a wide range of paces. And then we had a, a response from Stefan who said, yeah, good one. I think Steve Sisson mentioned that running at the faster end of the range gives you more aerobic benefits. However, it should also be more tiring. So additional recovery is appropriate, I assume. I responded and said, right now we want you to doing your long runs at at least a minute slower per mile than your target marathon pace. Full stop. We will discuss this again on the week 12 podcast, which we're going to do. So anyway, I just want to clarify for everybody what we were trying to say in that intro, what I was trying to say in that intro last week, which is that, and first of all, before I go there, do your long runs a minute per mile slower than your marathon pace period right now. It's too damn hot in this summer to be going faster than that. If you want to get the right aerobic benefit, especially given the intensity of some of these workouts, you need to slow down on those long runs. So at least a minute slower. If you're a minute slower or more, then you're good. Check. And, you know, of course, that's other than the times we give you specific paces for those long runs. But in terms of the conversation last week and to kind of react to Stefan's comment that you were somehow implying that running at the faster in the range is better. Uh, I want to make sure that people know that that's not necessarily what you were saying, or at least I don't, that's not how I interpret it. So I wanted to kind of lay out what I interpreted and then get your reaction, Steve, which is that my interpretation of you telling me that my faster run on Thursday was better aerobically had more to do with the fact that you knew I was in the right zone because you know, I'm good about being in the right zone. And you also knew that the purpose of that day was different than the purpose of my Friday run, that that medium long run, is intended to be faster than my recovery run on Friday because of the simple difference in the purpose of those two days. And the fact that I went faster on the Thursday run and therefore got more aerobic benefit was simply in reference to the two, the two different 
intentions for those two days. One day is a medium long run where I'm intended to be getting more aerobic benefit. Another is a recovery day where I'm intended to get aerobic benefit, but I'm also primarily focused on recovering and preparing for the long run the next day. So it wasn't necessarily me going faster that meant it was better. It, it was the fact that it was a different purpose for the day and that you knew I was probably in the right zone given that I'm good about being in the right zone. Is that a fair statement? No. Okay, bring it. No, I mean, I, I, I guess I guess the problem is that the, the thing is, is that how do I know that they're in the right zone? I guess that's my point. I guess, I don't know, I'm a little convoluted here, but. Okay, repeat. Well, say, what, say what you want to say, even if it's not in reference to what I just said. What I want to say is that I just, I always want to say this. It's just super simple. Easy is as easy does. And I'm sorry that I can't give and you can't give people some perfect assessment for what easy is. And you know what? I don't fucking care because it's all your own journey anyway. Each one of you guys have got to figure out what is right for you and comparing and contrasting it with what your pace chart says, what what you run for a marathon, what you want to run for a marathon, what your dog wants to run. I don't fucking care. Easy is, is what you feel easy is. And sometimes it's faster and sometimes it's slower. And I have a lot of patience with this usually, but it makes me a little bit grumpy when somebody tries to tell me that I know what they know when I don't know them. Right. And I, and I don't mean disrespect there about that. I just mean, don't use me to justify you doing what you needed to do. What I want you to do is to really learn enough about yourself, how your body functions and works, and how what easy means to you and how that fluctuates and changes on any given day. I know for myself when I've run, when I've been in pretty good shape or getting into shape, there are times where easy for me is a minute and a half faster on a given day. Now, the way I test that is the next two days, do I feel like shit? And if so, I probably did way too much work and I need to adjust where easy is for me. So anyway, does that make sense? That's that's really kind of the point that I was trying to make is that there's also another point, which is we get physiological benefits from a whole lot of different things. And Chris and I are always thinking about what you're going to get your benefits from, from a physiological perspective anyway. So in a sense, it is, yes, I do trust you guys. But in another sense, do you trust yourselves? That's really my question. Like, do people need to learn to trust themselves and learn how to run on their own rhythms, in my opinion? Yeah, and you make good points there, which is really not about the paces on the chart. It's not. Ah, <laughs> the right. paces on the chart are intended as guidelines to hopefully get you in the right effort zone. But if you're not in the right effort zone, then that's a problem. You're not getting the right benefit. And how do you know? You only know is the truth. Because you only know how hard it was for you. You only know how you felt the next day. You only know how the accumulation of doing a certain pace over time affects you. For me, man, my easy runs, my recovery runs, my easy runs, they're easy. And right now, on my sort of normal days, you know, Monday I ran, I think, 8.15, 8.30 a mile. You know, my, for 10 miles, my... Marathon pace is six, you know, 20, hopefully working down to six ten, And so that's two minutes slower than what I normally run for race for the race. But it doesn't matter really that that's the reference point. What matters is that 
I had an easy run on Monday. I felt good afterwards. I was able to get rehydrated. And then I had a good workout on Tuesday. Right? That's what matters. Those are the things that we're really trying to make sure are happening. And so, so I think I, I mean, it's good that you brought it back to that, Steve, because that's really what it's about is how does that pace on the given day fit in the overall puzzle of what we're trying to accomplish throughout the week? And if you're going too fast on a day and then you can't get the most out of the workout, you have a problem. Or if you feel like shit afterwards, or if you finish feeling like, man, I don't know, that's all I could have done today. Like you should never finish an easy run or a recovery run feeling like that's what you, that's all you could have done for the day. I mean, for me, as I, I was actually thinking about this on my run yesterday, I had, I was doing 12 miles, basically a medium long run for us on a Thursday. And, you know, my thought literally was I should finish these medium long runs feeling like I could run three to four to five miles with no problem more than what I did. So I, you know, I should finish it thinking like I could have run 16 miles on that uh, yesterday at the effort I was doing and, and have been totally fine and been able to get recovered. And that's sort of how I felt. I finished feeling good. Like I could have run three or four more miles. I didn't knowing that it all has to fit together with what's happening on Saturday. Okay. So hopefully all of that philosophy and back and forth didn't confuse you, but the point remains again, as we addressed earlier in this episode, that effort is king and making sure of course that you stay on your purpose for each day in your training. All right. As we move to this last clip, it's going to be Steve and I talking a little bit about goal setting. And this came from our, the end of our season last year, as we were talking to the athletes about how to hone in on their final goal pace or, or final race pace for their goal. And we give some tips on that. And so I'll start to also talk about how to mentally prepare and wrap your head around that goal. So here we go for our last clip. As we wrap this up, we wanted to talk about goal setting because this is a time, as we alluded to in our last training podcast, we alluded to kind of starting to think about, visualize the race and start to mentally prepare for the race. You're getting close enough now where it's time to start setting goals and a goal time for your race. And we'll be giving you next week a long run workout where you're going to be incorporating some of that goal pace into it. So we want to make sure you're actually using your true target goal pace by that point, not your training goal pace. And so now's the time to kind of dial in on that. So Steve, we'll just kind of throw the dialogue to you. What things should they be thinking about when it comes to setting a specific goal for their race? Well, hopefully folks, seems like almost everybody that's consistently communicating with us um, is at least using the three pace range plan that we talked about. They seem to be, utilizing that and um this is exactly why the three pace range plan works is because at this point in time you should be able to go back through your training log look at your workouts and know where you spent the vast majority of your mgp work and even even the other edges of the paces group so like the 5k the 10k the half marathon you should be able to say that you did 75 70 of it in Let's say that somebody's shooting for a 310, a 30, 315, and a 320 goal time at, at, at their marathon. That they've spent 50 percent of the time at the 315 range. They spent 25 percent of the time at the 310 range. 
and they spent 25% of the range time at that. Now, this is a weird one because most people won't do 50, 25, and 25. That would be 25 on the 320 inch. But if somebody did come to me and said that that's what they saw, I would say I think we should really shoot for a 315, and that should be our goal time, and we should build a race plan based on the course, the strategy, and th those things we're not going to talk about today. We're not going to go through the strategic plan you might make for your race, but you want to know where you're at and what you should be shooting for as a goal time. Chris, I cannot overestimate, I cannot tell people how important it is to be conservative in this regard. No matter what happens, Chris and I's race plans will allow you to be aggressive late in the race and to go get, in this case, somebody to have a chance to go get the three pace, 310 time. So if somebody said, yeah, I only did 25% of it at the 310 pace, but that's really what I wanted at the beginning of this training program, listen, if you're super aggressive, Chris and I might allow you to go for that 310, but we're going to tell you that are you okay with running a 320? Because if you go for the 310, you very well might run a 320. And if you're okay with that and you want to be, you want to, you know, trot out the, have the big balls and go for it and take the risk, that's okay. We'll, we're, ready to, we're willing to roll those dice with you if you're really going for it. But if you don't, if you really, what you really want is a run as a 315 and you need, and that's what you really need, well then let's do the 315. So um, if I changed those, those numbers to somebody said to me, I ran 75% of my work at the 315 pace and 25% of my work at the 310 pace, I would still say go for the 315. That's a better place to be. If somebody said I did 75% of my work at the 320 pace and 25% of my work varied in the other two ranges, then we're probably going to shoot for a 320. Um, I think you guys are getting the pattern here. This is what the real magic of the three-pace system is, is that you should base your goal time based on the work that you've done Still continuing to harbor those big goals, but talking through them with Chris and I when we get to the strategic points of your races. But you guys need to be wrestling with this, where you should be shooting for, because you're going to need to know that next week when we do our hard quality session, because we want to practice those paces and know whether that last workout will sort of be a key indicator of whether we're ready to really go for that time um, that you really want um, on race day. Yeah, and that's an important note, which is that we're not asking you to sign in blood your goal time what we're asking you is what you think it might be based on your training based on the ranges that C was talking about so that when we do that big pace work long run next week you have the ability to try something see how it goes and then use that additional information to then finalize that goal time for race day <coughs> one other thing I want to emphasize here is that to me deciding your marathon target is as much about understanding your fitness as it is about you the risk profile you want to bring to the race because you know picking a, a, a time in a marathon is about managing risk and if using your example Steve if you're in that 310 to 320 range and you're 25 50 25 in terms of the amount of time you've spent at each one your fitness might say you should go for a 315, but you might say, look, I ran 350 last time and I really want to go for it this time. And I'm willing to take more risk knowing that if I take that risk and it doesn't work, I might end up at 320. But I'm OK with that because I still have a big PR and I'm still happy with it. So you got to understand how much risk you want to take as well. And how much you want to hurt. Because yeah. it's not just risk. It's also knowing that. You need to be really good at suffering. Yes. <laughs> right. Because you will suffer. <laughs> and so... If you're wrong, because it's a risk. So, so. Yeah, so sometimes with an athlete, 
you know, in my head, I might think they could run a 330, but we decide that their plan should be a 335 because, you know, they're going to have a 30-minute PR anyway, and I want them to have a good experience with a solid finish and then know what it feels like to finish strong in a marathon so that the next time we can be greedy. And so there's, anyway, there's just different things you got to think about in terms of how much risk do I want to take? What's my ultimate goal? Then, you know, for those that are looking for Boston qualifiers and things like that, then you got to also think about that dynamic, how close you are to those limits and or thresholds, whether it be the buffer time or the real qualifying time or whatever it is to kind of factor that into the risk profile. So there's a few other things to consider, but it's all part of the puzzle. And what we want you to ultimately do is fit those things together with information from your training log and then pick something. Doesn't matter exactly what it is, but pick something so that when we give you that pace work long run next week, you have something to shoot for. And then with that additional information, we can then make a decision. Pick it and execute it. So yep. picking it is important, but executing it as well. Because Chris and I don't get to see you guys on a week to week basis. And so I'm a lot more I ask my athletes some of my athletes I ask them to pick it before this last hard quality workout because I don't know enough information for the, I'll really want, I really want them to do that. But for others, I don't actually ask them to tell me exactly how, what they're going to do because I've seen them Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks on end, and I already know where I think they are at. Uh, but we don't really know that much. And so you're, what we're asking you to do is to limit the number of variables that we have to take into play when we, when we talk with you guys about what your goal times are for the race. And so we don't have that luxury of seeing you consistently, and we need your... We need you to do the hard work for us to tell us which variables we need to really pay attention to. So it's really crucial and critical that you make this decision. And one really important thing for those of you out there who are um, a little scared of what you're wanting to run, let's say that you're the, it, you've had that 25, 50, 25 in that 310 to 320 range, but you really, really, really want the 310. Really, really do the workout at the 310 paces. This is the time to test it, to try it because if you execute it well, then you can be much more confident about the fact that you are ready to do that on race day. And if you don't execute it well, you'll have the right questions to ask us about what things we might need to adjust because it could have been a nutrition thing. It could have been a weather thing. It could have been the course thing. It could have been a, a myriad of other things. And we'll, and we'll, Chris and I will be able to unpack that much more easily if we, if, if we know that you've given that race prep workout your best shot with the most information you could. Yeah, and it's important to pick something, get off the fence with it, go do it, see how it goes, but don't go into that workout wishy-washy thinking, well, maybe this, maybe that, I'm going to try this, and if that doesn't work, I'm going to try that. No, pick something for that workout, stick with it, and then let the cards fall where they may. Because if you do choose to be wishy-washy about it, Chris and I are going to be wishy-washy about your race plan. <laughs> so, and I don't think you want that. That's not going to create the best starting line experience for you. So... Um, you know, we're, we're confident that we've got you guys fit. There's no doubt about that. It's, it's pretty darn obvious just reading your posts on a consistent basis. It's, we're seeing, we've got tired people. I know we've got tired people, but we're seeing, um, many of the exact same kinds of reactions to load that we see here at Rogue on a week to week basis. So we're, we know we're cooking with grease. We just want to make sure that we can give you the best plan of attack as we go into the final month um, or six weeks, depending on where you're at for you all. And even those of you who are running a race in May, um, and I think we've got like one person doing a June race um, 
probably less important for the June race person to be nail this workout just right in terms of getting the timing right. But even for those folks who are running an early May race, this is this is important. This is one of the few we give you one we get one or two more hard quality workouts, but this one's really the tester and the one we want you to do no matter what. So when I have people with with races and ranges, this is the one I want them to execute no matter what their race plan is, what race date they're running in in the spring marathon. So there you go. Steve was wrapping that episode, basically building up the team, getting them ready for our final long run workout of that last season, which they all nailed, if I remember correctly. Hopefully you enjoyed these outtakes, a little pic- a little pullback of the curtain of what goes on in some of our podcast training episodes. The color you got in this episode was basically some of the tips and tricks that we provide to those athletes in those bonus 30-minute episodes that they get each each week. In addition, we also give them details on their training week, including what to do for their workouts and long runs of that week, as well as additional work that we recommend for them each week to supplement their training. So hopefully you enjoyed that picture, maybe learned something, and it might have piqued your interest to join our podcast training group at some point. We aren't currently accepting athletes, but we will be again at some point this fall and we will let you know when that happens finally before we wrap i did want to remind everybody about the upcoming endorphin book club episode with dina castor we've actually confirmed the interview with her for august 8th so she'll be coming on with us then to ask or to answer questions about her book let your mind run and if you have questions for dina as we've requested before, please do send those to us. You now have until we'll, we'll say August 7th to get those in. And I've already gotten some from listeners already, but we're super excited to have Dina on to talk about her book, which is amazing. By the way, if you haven't already picked it up, let your mind run by Dina Castor and Michelle Hamilton. There we go. That's episode 85. Everybody, as always, you can check us out on our website at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.